This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10OFF, T-E-N-O-F-F, for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. Thank you for listening. Before we get going, first and foremost, I want to remind everyone that we have your podcasting entertainment needs covered nearly every day. Of course, starting on Monday, we have Horror Wolf 666, hosted by Brandon Legion. On Tuesday, we have Into the Necrosphere, hosted by Jackie Smith. Wednesday, of course, is the Everything Went Black podcast, which you're listening to right now. And Thursday is the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast, co-hosted by myself, co-founder Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. And uh, today's guest, Carl Haikara, is most likely going to be joining this cavalcade of excellence, of podcasting excellence and um, he's a guy I met over the last few years online, which, uh, you know, that phenomenon went on where people were locked up alone. And uh, sometimes we just reached out to people that we had things in common with. And Carl and I became uh, really good friends over the last couple of years. We exchanged a lot of musical ideas, uh, talked about, you know, different movies, different books. He's going to be joining the ranks of the podcasting world with his brand new show called Soul Knox. And we're gonna talk a lot about that as well as a whole host of other interesting topics that include the occult, music, the abyss, and a bunch of really cool stuff. And this conversation went exactly as I expected it would go. Deep, deep explorations of some of these topics. I also wanna talk about the Patreon, and I thank everyone who has joined the Patreon, and um, we're, we're a growing gang of free thinkers that are moving together into the future. So for as little as $1, you can support the show. You get access to all the bonus content. For $5, you get early access to all of the episodes in addition to the bonus content. And I just rolled out, and I just rolled out another tier for people who want to promote their own either companies, projects, or bands. And for $25, you get a custom read of whatever it is that you're looking to promote. You get one episode a month, plus all of the stuff from tier one and two. And uh, it'll it'll be similar to uh, what we do with our sponsor, Portland Distro. Except you send me the copy, and I read it at the beginning, and you become a sponsor for the show. Well, Carl, yeah. the reason why I asked you on to the podcast is um, just in general, the, during the pandemic, podcasting was a way that a lot of people, I think, stayed, in, you know, stayed in, in the groove with stuff. And as a result, a lot of people, uh, including myself, obviously, we've got to know a bunch of people as a result of um, listening to podcasts, uh, communicating like you. Uh, Jackie from Into the Necrosphere, Brandon, uh, you know, from Horror Wolf. Yeah. I've become like 
friends with these people as a result of podcasting, really. And, you know, music and just being open to communication um, without actually having the ability to meet up face to face. And you're definitely one of the people as a result of these last two years that I was like, you know, found to be like a, a valuable person to have as, uh, you know, as someone that I communicate with on the regular because we've been sharing tons of cool ideas and, um, and I think, you know, it was really cool. Like I found out about a lot of stuff as a result of us being, you know, our friendship, you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, um, like I was, I found when I started listening to, uh, really what it got me, I started listening to Necromaniacs and listening to all of it. And after listening to pretty much all the episodes, I was like, had a pretty good idea of, types of stuff that I found out about a lot of really cool stuff from you guys and then uh, I remember I, I messaged you about the Nameless Grant Morrison yep. and uh, and because I was like oh yeah Michael like this like just judge off of everything I had listened to you know a big thing that, that I think we connect over was weird fiction because like, I don't I, I don't know about you but I don't have a whole lot of people to talk talk to about weird fiction you know <laughs> I have a few friends who are into it but uh, it's like one of my favorite one one thing that's like uh, one of my favorite things, I think, you know, definitely up there. And uh, being able to con con converse with you about it and um, and get to like uh, your recommendations and then recommend the stuff that, that I, I found that I thought was cool, you know, I think is very valuable uh, kind of thing, you know. Well, there's, there's two things associated with that, which I thought was an interesting parallel. Um, you know, I found out about H.P. Lovecraft through reading Robert E. Howard when I was very young. And uh, you know, then there's a whole Weird Tales group of people back then. There was like Clark Ashton Smith, H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard. And they had communicated with each other through letters. And I always found yeah. that to be very interesting. And during, during this really only happened during the pandemic, I think, because a lot of people just were like isolated. And that's when I got to be friends with you, uh, Jackie and Brandon. And the stuff that we pretty much all had in common was that we were doing podcasts. And I know that you are about to launch your own podcast, and we can talk about that later. But I just want to kind of bring in, to, bring in this, this vibe that we all seem to be on. Because we all pretty much communicate with each other freely, similar to the way Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard and Clark Ashton Smith used to correspond with each other through letters. I always thought that was very interesting. Yeah, I think it is. It's like, um, it's kind of the same type of thing where, you know, they, they kind of found each other. Like, like I think Lovecraft was like a real big, like linchpin of that, because from what I understand, uh, I mean, he was like the, I mean, he was like crazy letter writer. I think he's one of the most, he's written some of the most letters out of anybody like he's up in that list you know <laughs> yeah and uh i think um he, he he really seemed to be into the idea of creating this kind of like groups where everybody's kind of talking to each other and uh you know and and communicating with each other and he would get them in communication with each other and then i think it was also having like weird tales you know uh to publish through that and the weird tales would actually connect some of the people because I think it was uh, Farnsworth, right? You connected Howard and Lovecraft, if I remember correctly. 
And Farnsworth Wright yeah, and, being uh, the uh, the guy who owned, who was the you know owner publisher of Weird Tales for anyone out there who didn't know it, who that was. Yeah, and he was. I mean, so he would connect people a lot with with Lovecraft, and and Lovecraft was a pretty crazy person in the sense that like he was just so. In a lot of ways, you know, that people try to always try to like uh, say stuff about him, like he wasn't like um, he was like some type of like weird. They try to like bake him as like some kind of weird incel sitting in his in his like you know mom's house like basement or something type of person. But the reality was that he was very out, very like outgoing person, talking to people through letters or in person, you know, going to visit people, and he would be writing to everybody and and even and fans would write him letters and he would write them back and treat them like equals in a lot of ways. Like he did. And like you have the example of people like Robert Block, who is, I think 16 or 14 or 16 or something when he and Lovecraft started talking to each other. Lovecraft, like was like instrumental and in, in helping Robert Block, like launch his career, you know? And for anyone out there uh, who doesn't know who that, that is, he, he, for his most, Probably his most famous uh, work is uh, Psycho, Robert Block. Yeah, definitely like most famous is Psycho. I mean, I just I have a the um, I think I showed it to you is like the Chaosium, yes. like Mysteries of the Worm, mm-hmm. which is all of his uh, his Lovecraft kind of juvenilia. I mean, it's mostly written in his teenager, early twenties. I know he wrote like a a novel called like uh, I forget what it's called, Out of Aeons or something. I forget, but he wrote a novel later on. But I, from what I've heard, it's not that great. But his early Lovecraft-like stories are pretty good, and it's interesting because you can read them in in order and kind of see him developing his voice within the Lovecraft type of world. Which I mean, again, later on, Ramsey Campbell did that as well. But back to like what you're saying earlier is that the the um, there are definitely parallels, like in the sense that people connecting. I think the big thing is that you know, particularly with the podcast, like you can. Like I can listen to, like, you know, I was like, Necromaniacs and, or like into the Necrosphere, and, you know, like, you're listening to you guys, what you guys are t- talking and thinking about certain things, and, you know, know that, oh, yeah, like, I pretty, I connect with what you're talking about, you know, and, uh, and it makes it easier than, like, if I, like, oh, I have this to say to you, then I, I'll, I just, like, message you guys after a while, and, um, it kind of creates that, that ability to communicate with each other because they're, like, communicating through these thoughts about different things. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, and and I like to think that, like, we're all sort of creating this cool universe, and um, it kind of sprang up organically, too. It wasn't like we decided to have, like, a, uh, you know, let, let's make this, this uh, group of creators and force each other to have similar ideas or whatever because we actually all are very different but there's a lot of really interesting crossovers in the things that we like and the way that we present things and the way our thoughts are formed about these things and um yeah and i'm really excited for your your uh, your endeavor uh you know based on all the two years of conversations we've had um i'm really right. <laughs> excited to see what you actually come up with because i know you had a, cu- a couple of different ideas about um you know, what, what you're going to be launching and that sort of stuff. So I want to talk about that. Like what, you know, you, you had two very distinct ideas and I want to get into all that stuff too. And, you know, talk about what's, what's coming up and, you know, how you're going to execute all that. So yeah, let's, let's get into that part. 
Yeah, so I'm planning on well, so yeah, two two particular ideas. Part one is like very more specialized, you know, and um, and one is more freeform because I wanted to. I had the idea for the first one, which was is basically going to be a uh, podcast about Conan, essentially, and also Robert E. Howard uh, as well. But I wanted to go through like all the Conan stories and talk about it and talk about you know all the different like the the comic books and everything as well. And that's going to be coming. But I decided also to launch a um, another one because I wanted to talk about some different things, you know, like kind of like how you have with Everything Went Black, like where it's like, um, you know, like where you can kind of talk about whatever whatever it is that, that, it's, that you're doing, you know, like not be completely struck and stuck in the one lane, but kind of special, kind of, I guess, like I can have a little bit of flexibility. I have a kind of range of stuff that I want to talk about within that flexibility, but I'm not like it's not going to be like the Conan one is going to be like every week, every episode is going to be the next story, you know. Okay. okay. <laughs> but I wanted to, have, yeah, because like I wanted to kind of the Conan one. I kind of like the idea of like the um, H. Lovecraft uh, pod, literary podcast where they went through uh, chronologically all of Lovecraft's right stories and talked about them and, and everything, you know, and I kind of want to do something similar, but with Conan and with Howard, because I feel like Howard doesn't really get, I mean, I, I don't I feel like a lot of times, particularly in this day and age, you have a lot of people politicizing things. And I wanted to talk about Conan just like in, just to talk about it because of people who love Conan, you know, not be politicizing it. And then just like, just going through and um, more specifically like that. So, I, I, but I had the I had the feeling like I also want to do this other one, which is going to be called um, Soul Knox Podcast, and that is going to be a little bit different because it's been, like I said, it'll be kind of flexible. I have basic range of things that it's going to be talking about. Is um, I want to talk about the occult. Uh, I want to talk about um, weird fiction and horror and um, black metal. And um, I'm trying to think what a, uh, kind of like uh, art, these types of things. The, the things that for me are like what is most important for for me in my life and inspiring, you know. And I felt like a lot of the stuff that I do study, particularly as far as like the occult and um, goes and things like that, that I have a kind of perspective on it that I don't really hear. Um, I, I really haven't heard in a podcast so far, you know, there's like a couple of cult podcasts that I've heard, but, um, they're all coming from a kind of, I don't know, kind of a different perspective, I guess, you know, that I, I felt like mine could, my perspective on all that kind of stuff would be, you know, a, something different out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, that's, uh, that's great. I mean, I, I, uh, I'm looking forward to that one. And now do you have a title for that podcast yet? Yeah, it's going to be called uh, Soul Knox Podcast. Okay. So it's uh, named after the Black Sun, mm-hmm. um, which is like an alchemical sim- symbol that uh, has been very important for me in my life. Um, I see it as like a kind of a symbol of, uh, well, you know, obviously people will see it as a symbol of dissolution, but it's also a symbol of unity at the same time. So it's kind of like a symbol of... Um, you know, like the black work, like the uh, Negretto, uh, Solvent Ecoagula, you know, 
And so it's kind of this, for me, it's a symbol of, and it's a symbol of unification. Like I know that um, Carl Jung talked a lot about um, with using like his kind of alchemical symbols in your work that. Um, yeah, that, that's what I was going to mention is like the Carl Jung aspect, because a lot of times when people hear the black sun, they think of like the, the Schwartz sauna, the Nazi uh, <laughs> black sun. That's like everyone's so quick to jump to that conclusion with people when they use that I, that sort of imagery, you know, and you have to right. remind oh. them that. Well, Carl Jung had this whole archetypical thing that he had as part of his philosophy that had to do with, you know, some of the things that we're talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the black sun as a symbol you can find in um, in al alchemical treaties in the Middle Ages and, and everything, you know. And and it's definitely, it's a very old like type of idea because it's the sun behind the sun. You know, it's basically um, a symbol of kind of like the inner fire in a lot of ways. Right that's beyond the external. And I saw it as a symbol of unification um, in the sense that kind of when you've kind of been just kind of destroyed yourself, you find this, this inner inner fire, you know, within, which is the black sun, which can kind of like fuses you back together. Because I think like that kind of alchemical process is something that um, breaks you down, you know, and then you can put yourself back together in a better way, I think. And I think these kind of symbols are important ones for, for, because our minds kind of require symbols to, um, our minds require these symbols to interact with it. Like, it's kind of like, uh, for some reason, our subconscious brain thinks in symbols. It doesn't think in necessarily in words, you know? words are kind of like uh, symbols that unlock this force that's in, within, you know. So when you use these kind of symbols that uh, have been used uh, across millennia and different cultures as well, uh, it creates this kind of inner alchemy, you know. No, 100%, and, uh, man. And that, that's like a lot of what, um, like a lot of those elements find their way into my lyrics that I write with tunes and other various projects that I'm, that I'm involved well, with. Well, that's actually... That's actually a question I had for you because I know I've noticed obviously because it's a, something that I pay attention to is that you have like a lot of songs that have the black sun like in the in the in the in the lyrics and the song titles and everything. And I was curious like what does that that kind of mean for you? You know, well, there's a couple of different levels to that. Like the first one is just in general, um, like the like you touched on alchemy and and just life in itself and the existence of of uh, you know creatures on this planet to me is alchemy you know and a lot of it like you and I have had discussions about life rising from the abyss and things like that and um, if you think about just an organism's journey through its lifespan is there's nothingness and then some biological process happens and then this intelligence rises from that. And then during the course of the organism's lifespan, all these changes happen within the body, you know. And so there's the journey from nothingness through a span of life. And all through that lifespan, the physical form of this being is changing. Yet inside that being is some sort of essence that is the characteristic, like the inner harmonic of that being. And then yeah. at the end... It returns to nothingness again. So there's this whole 
rising and setting of a sun. That's, that's how I look at it, at least. So that's part of, I think I started exploring a lot of that ideology and imagery on, uh, on, on uh, Savage Gold, you know, where I pretty much, that was kind of the beginning of me thinking about things that way. And that's, that's how I infused that philosophy into the tombs material and other writings and lyrical endeavors that I have. Yeah, because I noticed that's been kind of a theme through particularly the last, yeah, from, from Savage Gold and Grand Nile later and uh, and the new album. Like, there, there, there's this kind of, like, underlying, like, kind of energy going through it, you know? And uh, that's one thing I've, like, I really, like, uh, related to with the, with the newer tombs material a lot is that, is that, that vibe. And I do think that like the black sun is interesting symbol because it, it represents both destruction and creation in a way as destruction to see the inner, the inner like truth. And they said like somebody goes through all these changes and stuff, but there's this inner type of uh, being inside of them, you know, that, that kind of almost carry holds it through. And I think that I see that like when you go through unification type of uh, process of, uh, I think uh, the, like Jung would talk about like um, uh, like blanking on the word, but but basically you become the whole self, you know, and it's it's kind of like that inner center kind of becomes large enough to like be the center of of instead of being centered, I can say like the ego or, or the super ego or the id you become kind of all of it. And I think that includes that kind of inner central true self in a way, you know, so rather than being buffeted around, like how, you know, some people like are very changeable in a way where they almost change their entire personalities. Like you, when you kind of um, really encounter that true self and you feed that and, and everything, you kind of become this more whole being, which I see as, as part of that idea of the black sun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that that's in line with a lot of the reading I was doing back, back all the way back when we were doing Savage Gold, like in that era, that's when I started becoming aware of all this stuff because um, at the time, a uh, partner that I had was very, very deeply in, into like Jungian, you know, philosophy and psychology. And, and uh, she turned me on to a lot of this stuff. And I, started reading on my own and fusing that with some of my other personal philosophies and that's kind of where that sprung from and um and yeah I, I agree I think like you know that everyone has like that inner essence but there there are layers and layers and layers of thing piled on top of that and you were talking about people who change their personalities but deep down somewhere there is like that kernel that like essence of who they really are and they just maybe haven't connected with that part of them to the, to an extent where it's strong enough to fully be expressed, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that also, you know, I have like a lot of different interests and different things are into, but I think when you really feed that, that true self essence and, and it grows, um, it's like all the different things they're into kind of feed into that true self, you know, rather than, um, like fighting each other or like um, being very changeable. It's almost like just like you're yourself and you have the different things that you like, you know, like, but they're all connected to that true self. Like that's, that's 
something that that I find I found important, you know. You also mentioned about the Black Sun being uh, both a destroyer, like destruction and life, as as well as you know, two things at the same time, sort of. And I connected that with like the Hindu goddess Kali, and uh, you know, because like Kali, there's like I guess I forgot. I think the the more destructive aspect of Kali is uh, Durga, and uh, yeah. Kali is like the life, the more positive life positive element of that, um, you know, that concept. And uh, the new tombs uh, sigil that we designed has like an inverted. Well, you can't really see it, but it's it's been stylized. But the the main element in that new symbol that we have is a Kali symbol, which is like. Yeah, I noticed that that it's kind of like a inverted, like the the Kali yantra. Yes. Or whatever I think it's called. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and rather yeah, than I, it just rip that off and like you know, okay, check it out. Here's this. <laughs> we just <laughs> turned uh, you know Val Noir loose on it to come up with a cool like you know sigil that we're going to start using on everything that we do now yeah i think that's cool like to do the symbol i like the symbol uh i like the artwork for your new for your new ep a lot as well just Thank like you. yeah the um i didn't know i know you had that that like uh listen party yesterday but i was working so i wasn't able to tune in but the um yeah, I like that work for that. And I like that symbol. I think it's cool to do like have like a sigil, uh, for like for a band, you know, like that's like kind of designed, um, like I know for a new uh project I'm create I'm like working on right now, we have like kind of like a symbol, a sigil, like worked into the uh to the the logo, but I want to kind of expand that to just be like its own like sigil, you know. And um, and that's what I'm gonna do for for the Solanox podcast. Like, um, uh, I need I'm gonna like paint a uh, a sigil for it that I'm gonna use. You know. Yeah, because that's another thing that you're you're also an artist too. So that's that's really a plus if you can handle the visual component of everything. Because that's something that uh, I have like literally no talent with um <laughs> with doing anything visual. So. Yeah, well, I'm, like, uh, I have, like, my style of art, like, that I can do. I'm not really, like, when people can, like, paint whatever, you know? I'm not, like, or, like, very ultra, like, realistic. But if I'm doing something that is uh, within the kind of vein of how I paint, I, I'm able to pull it off, you know? And particularly now, like, with um, with having, like, phones that take really great pictures and stuff, you almost don't even need to take it down to like scan stuff anymore you know <laughs> oh yeah definitely yeah the um which is kind of nice but yeah yeah so i paint and um do the yeah and i have do music and i have the have radio shows as well which um which i do which is music more related so that's the other thing like i have the radio station that we run Denver underground radio we do the radio show i do radio show on there two shows a week but we don't you know it's not i figured that doing the podcast would be a nice kind of because it's not uh i'm not playing like you know three hours of music or something i could talk about stuff you know (laughs) so how do people find that radio station is it it something that's like a a channel that you can find on on like basically online and are the shows archived so let's let's talk about that like what's what are all the details about under denver underground radio yeah, so my friend and I, well, 
we started that um the radio station in 2017 before that we had been part of like a pirate radio station out here okay for uh since like 2013 there was like this pirate radio station operating out of boulder that um you know they pirated radio waves and we did a start doing uh, upstairs room on thursday nights up there and uh, then we started the radio station. And basically, it's pretty simple with, with the radio shows. You just go on the website, and there's a player on the website. You can play it. Like when we were doing our shows, we, for a long time we had it set up so that there was music playing there all the time. But we changed, I changed kind of the way we do stuff. So it's only like really broadcasting, like when we're brought, when we're doing shows. And it's a live thing, right? Like it's happening. Like you're listening as like in a live setting, right? Yeah, it's a lot. It's live. Um, I have them recorded. The uh, we have the upstairs room on archive.org. We have like a couple years worth of websites. We we did have that show up on Bandcamp, but then they took it down. Oh really? Why? Why did they take it down? Because it's it's like I guess we, they thought it was being like copyright infringement oh, or something. Yeah, we have, gotcha. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. we're playing uh, music on there. I mean, uh, at this point, like we're pretty like. Uh, we we stream stuff like I have a DJ program that uses Spotify, so we're playing everything through Spotify. So people are still getting paid when we play this stuff, you know. <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, yeah, all right. Yeah, now and now at this point, but um, but yeah. So we have archive.org. Um, I have a few Darklands, which is my show I do on Tuesday nights up up there. Um, but I, I kind of like I have all of them on my computer. Um, at this point, I. I need to figure out a good way of archiving because I was starting to put them up on archive.org, but then for some reason it just like I haven't having problems uploading. So, so and then now then like a couple then after a while like I think a year has gone by, so I'm like a year behind. You know. <laughs> so so there, there's uh, you you got you, there's other DJs on there too. So basically, what what other shows can you hear on Denver Underground? Right now, I have um, we don't we don't have so many right now because we retained at the end of 2020 we restructured like the, the player and everything. Um, we did, it's kind of hard. Ironically, it's kind of been hard to find like good DJs that you know that actually play every week and everything. And uh, we kind of like clean house a couple years ago, but. Right now we have a guy who's in Connecticut who is doing a show on Sunday nights. I forget that. I think he he does two things. He does like something called Nutmeg Junction, which they do. I think it's like actual like radio drama. Oh, that sounds. And cool. then yeah, and then he then he has his own show afterwards. I think that all of that starts around seven o'clock Eastern time. I think. And uh, I'd have to double check. So that right now he's the he's one guy that that stuck with us through everything. But um, eventually, I'm going to try to re, maybe, sort of get things going again and find some people to to have shows, you know. But um, yeah, because your show, because of the time change, it's it's hard for me to listen to it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, the the sun. My show is like doesn't start till like midnight your time. So, yeah, which is like, you know, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not very get, good for you. Yeah, get ready to go to sleep around midnight usually. So during yeah, the week, during the week at least, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not uh it's not so easy, but I you know I also have them all on Spotify playlists and people can listen to what we pick that way, you know. So 
they're all up. I, I literally have years worth of Spotify playlist. <laughs> Some of them maybe aren't the exactly right because Spotify is like stuff gets deleted off of Spotify all the time, you know. But um, yeah, that that's the thing that really concerns me, man. You know, it's like as as everything moves to streaming, you know, it's like it, I. I you know, actually, Joe Bob Briggs touched on this when he talked about physical media and, you know, some of the weirdo movies that you watch on uh, The Last Drive-In, these, like, really obscure horror films. And he's like, you know, try to get your hands on a physical product because you never know when, quote-unquote, they are going to delete stuff or take things away or change things. And I think, you know, the, the uh, convenience of streaming is nice. However stuff like that happens you know you have you have this thing and then you one day you 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 go to the streaming service and it's not there anymore you know yeah that happens a lot and yeah because i came to that conclusion you know like i've only really been on the streaming thing for uh, i mean i've only had i kind of i kind of was like real low tech for a long time i had a literally <laughs> a flip phone like, because I was, like, to save money, I just got, like, one of those, like, flip phones, for, like, because it's, like, cheaper and uh, everything. And I got, I only got, like, smartphones and stuff, like, I think, like, six years ago or something. Yeah. So, before that, you know, it's pretty low-tech, like, just out to buy, buy CDs and rip them and listen to them on my iPod or whatever and uh, that kind of stuff. And so I started getting the streaming when I got a smartphone. And I, it's, it's nice for in a way like to I do like being able to have access to a lot of stuff like because before with a pod of a um, pod iPod like I would be constantly like changing it and I mean you know I listen to like so much different stuff and you never know when you get in the mood to like want or you want to hear this and then you have to like pull up your hard drive or find the CD or you know it's, it's time consuming so it is, it is nice being able to just look that up and usually between Spotify and YouTube, I can find most things, but, but definitely like, as soon as I started seeing like stuff just kind of disappear for no reason off of Spotify and stuff like that, I kind of got that feeling of like, yeah, you can't rely on, on these things. And particularly for, uh, if you're in the fringe stuff, like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm like really in the black metal and underground black metal, obviously. And, uh, and being like really deep into like stuff like that, you really can't rely on and rely on those things being streaming because it's, it's already kind of fringe and it's something that you never know if one day they just decide that, ah, oh, yeah, all this black, like, you know, like all these bands that are like uh, impure can't be on Spotify or whatever. You know, you never know. You know, I mean, it happened to like a hate force got pulled off of Spotify. I noticed you that. Know? Yeah, I noticed that for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and, oh, well, there was like a, a weird, like Russian and Ukrainian purge of Spotify a couple of years ago where it's like, they had, it was like a bunch of different Russian Ukrainian bands, like, um, and they all like disappeared. Like there's a few left, like obviously Drutka and like, um, some others, but a lot of them just disappeared. I'm not sure if that was like censorship or if it was just like maybe some type of weird, like, um, weird thing where like with licensing or something but you know like but that's the thing is it could happen and it's definitely better if you 
if possible, to get the stuff, like, on CD, I think, or, you know, get the record or, or whatever, you know, and um, and make sure you back up. Like, if you do get stuff off of the Bandcamp, make sure to, to download it and back it up because, I mean, Bandcamp's been deleting, like, a lot of stuff recently, too. You know, they've been going on some kind of weird, like, purge where they, like, deleted, like, uh, Funeral Mist and, like, a bunch of different bands, you know? So if you bought music through Bandcamp and all of a sudden that band is decided by their like censorship board that it's not good then you lost all that music you know you know in some ways I feel like I have a lot of different thoughts about this because like you know I I you know I, I come from the old world where you bought bought records and you know there was like a, a very uh, hands-on approach to this kind of stuff where like the populist version of music you know like madonna and you know like stuff that <laughs> makes big money you know yeah that's consu- con- that's a product that's to be consumed by people you know what i mean and i, I mean i love madonna but like you right know, stuff of that nature you know big arena rock bands like you know kanye west like all that kind of stuff is like a product in a lot of ways that is meant for the most amount of people possible to listen to and the stuff that you and i are into is like very specific and that requires like a certain amount of hand-to-hand face-to-face tactile content you know contact rather and um you know I'm, I'm from the world of i mean i'm not that old where i you know i've never seen uh you know um like throbbing gristle or anything like that but th- those types of bands were really uh they had freedom because they weren't under scrutiny by people because they were so obscure and fringe and there was only a small group of people that really knew what was going on. And if someone who did not have the point of view or the perspective or the correct mind frame to understand what they were doing, they might look at these things and just see the offensiveness to it and not see the value, the creative value of music like that. And I think that translates into all this like black metal stuff that's going on and how people who just don't have haven't had the the background or or the wherewithal to understand the context of this music they look at it and like oh this is like you know offensive or it's anti-christian or this is like you know racist or right wing or there's some unsavory element to it that we need to purge you know and i think that's that's like the the risk that you run once you start align yourself with these like corporate overlords like spotify and apple music and all this other stuff yeah definitely i mean i think that as far as like if you're on the fringe like with black metal or something like that uh you really can't be relying on that on those on those things you know because it could be taken away but i think on the flip of it I think a lot of black male people really aren't relying on those things, you know. I think uh, when you get the more fringe you get, the more people are still buying CDs and buying records and, yeah. and are about that. So I think that's a, I think that's what's interesting though about you know these people who want to I don't know destroy like stuff that that, that they find offensive or whatever is that the um, the reality is that that if you're not even really playing their game, you're not really part of their their world. Then what are what can they really do to you? You know, that's kind of the funny thing about like the underground. You know, 
because if the underground's operating on its own rules in a lot of ways, then then you know even if you get taken off Spotify, it's not going to hurt your you know your 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 listenership because they're already buying a CD. You know. <laughs> yeah, totally. And that that's I think a band that's a testament to that is uh, is Inquisition. I mean, they they had a bit of bit of trouble a few years ago, and uh, you know they're still out there doing their thing i mean they're not they're not on season of mist anymore but like they <laughs> they have their own they're still they nothing happened to them i mean people still are all about inquisition you know i mean i, I personally i'm not, i've never been a fan because i saw them live one time and i was like really i like their records and then i went to see them live to me it was too uh i don't know there was like an aspect to it that seemed too tongue-in-cheek for me you know and I yeah. just kind of got alienated by their live show, and then I was like, "eh." They didn't really. I didn't. I didn't feel that darkness that I like when I see like a, a band like, uh, you know, like Marduk or like Watain or something like that. And um, and I just kind of fell out of it. And then like several years later, all this controversy <laughs> erupted around the band, and I was like, "Oh, well, you know." Well, I mean, it's too you know, bad. But what's funny? Know. Yeah, what's funny about the controversy with them is that. I mean, it was something from the past that they really had to dig up. Yeah. And I don't know the whole, I don't know all of that about them. I'm I'm like, I'm with you. I've never really been a huge fan of Inquisition. Like, I like some stuff, but they've never really been that band for me. That really got, you know, I really liked a lot. And and I saw them open for um, Mayhem when they did the Deep Mysterious Dumps of Thanos tour. Right. And uh, they were okay. Like, it wasn't, you know, they've never really been a band that's, like, excited me. But I think it's funny, like, like with, you know, obviously the allegations was that he had like some type of like child pornography or whatever on his, and that. But you know, he didn't go to jail. But you had the—I don't know if you've heard about the guy from um, Bathafor, uh down in New Zealand. Yeah, the, the guy from yeah, like from New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, Phil, whatever his name is. I mean, he's he's like had some pretty legit. Like that's like, you, you know. He's going to have jail time and stuff. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, like another, just another perspective too. Now, now these, you know, I'm not, like I'm not defending anyone like who's, you know, breaking the law like that, but you know, what about Michael Jackson, man? You know, I mean, I think you could still find Michael Jackson on Spotify. And oh, yeah, you can find Michael Jackson everywhere. And at the very, <laughs> at the very, very least there's controversy surrounding him. Similar to yeah. the controversy surrounding some of these other individuals. Yet, there, there's no, I mean, there's definitely a backlash against Michael Jackson, but it still has been deemed access, acceptable for Spotify to have his material. They didn't take his material off of Spotify. No, and, and they I didn't find, take Inquisition yeah. either, you know? Yeah, but, you know, but yeah. the, the backlash against Michael Jackson like he's not being condemned the same way like all these other people are being condemned within like the you know the woke mafia or whatever you know you don't you know, people well, yeah, have articles about him or anything like that to the same extent that Well I think are, it's because yeah go ahead it's easier to for it's easier for them to attack black metal you know I think that's what it comes down to uh, people uh, you're you're already on a fringe group uh of 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 metal in a way anyways that it's a lot easier target for them to make themselves feel better about their lives. You know, they can go and get a black metal show canceled and then they can pat themselves on the back like they did, you know, fought some Nazis or something, you know, like. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's complete hypocrisy, you know. 
So I think that's what it comes down to. I just don't get it. I mean, I've never been into into the the stuff. I mean, I personally, I mean, I just think that um, I kind of. I mean, I believe in. I believe particularly with art that I believe in freedom of speech, absolute freedom of speech. You know, and that unless you're, uh, I mean. I think that the laws that we had before, like in the 90s, about hate speech and stuff like that, seemed to work. You know, people could talk, say what they want to say as long as they weren't like inciting violence or something. You know, and uh, uh, I think that that's like the way the way forward, particularly within art, because you you can't have a free art form when they're like worrying about all these rules and stuff. I think all the kind of political correct type of Stuff is a form of, of thought control, kind of. You know, they want it's a kind of a way to to have control over a populace. You know. Well, so. yeah, that, that's the, like freedom of speech is like what it's like what holds together like a modern society, really, like a free modern society. And you can just go through history and see societies that started banning free speech started crumbling, really. You know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's the it's definitely the 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 road to uh, some form of tyranny, you know, like it, and and reality to me is like people like to make a big distinction between say the the far right and the far left. The realities are kind of the same, you know. They 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 end up at the same same look same place, you know. <laughs> no, <I> totally <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's, it's like Stalin and Hitler are basically the same, you know. Just they wear different different like badges, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. So. Yeah, I I think freedom of speech is important, and I think one of the things with black metal is that black metal is about is definitely a form about freedom of speech because black metal explores a lot of and the same thing with like industrial industrial as well and different things like that is that it's exploring like very um, extreme types of of like things you know like we're exploring very extreme thoughts and extreme things that as a way sometimes for some people purging it or sometimes it's just an expression it's just like uh it's an exploration you know an artistic exploration and you have people who do that and they're exploring like very like taboo subjects but i think it's a way of bringing freedom as well because i found for myself that once you get over these ideas of like that this idea is that you can't think certain things, just even the thought of them is like some type of crime or something. When you break away from those types of restrictions and you and you really challenge those things, you become more free as an individual and you become more free and able to see reality as it is. And, and uh, I mean, that's part of the reason why, say, like the whole idea of the adversary, I think, is important. Is you're, it's, you know, and that's why black metal is an adversarial form of music, you know? You're, you're challenging all these restrictions and and if somebody says you can't say that you can't think that then you're asking why why you know <laughs> well, why that, can't we say it like, that's exactly one of the reasons why satanism is like um you know attractive just to people who consider themselves like outsiders or like against you know these conservative ideologies and things like that you know and yeah you know, I, I love the uh you know the argument that no wars have ever been fought in the name of satan you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh well yeah i mean because i think like 
satanic viewpoint would be like that'd be kind of like kind of like hypocrisy you know (laughs) exactly you're not going to subjugate people to think that think exactly the same as you to me it's the opposite of every person finding their becoming an individuation you know like back to the Jungian idea individuation you know like to me like um reality is that kind of satanic left-hand path type of perspective is is really each person becoming the strongest person that they can be and i think in that you know it's not about like self in my opinion it's not really about like being selfish in the sense you don't care about other people that's like becoming the strongest person you can be and then you make the world around you a better place and, and a better place for the people around you as well you know and so i don't know to me it's it's a more positive idea than just attacking anybody who doesn't agree with you you know <laughs> yeah which when is you're worrying me, more about yourself <laughs> yeah the, the attacking anyone who doesn't agree you seems like like more of like the uh the pathway of like christianity you know and monotheism than than the, the left-hand path really yeah exactly i don't i think i think people should be more concerned with with their world and making themselves better and not worrying so much about everyone else is doing you know <laughs> see that that's the um the real irony about it where where like people that are not knowledgeable about the left-hand path they look at it oh you're just self-absorbed if you're working more towards the individual but the reality is like strengthening the individual brings the rest if everyone strengthened themselves it would bring up the entire society you know exactly exactly well and i think it's 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 totally that if each person strengthened themselves like spiritually uh, physically you know psychologically became the strongest person that they could be and the best person they could be the whole society would be a better place just because everybody would be as long as everybody's working to elevate themselves and they're elevating each other as well you know and it's like that's like I think a really important part. It's just like uh, if you're educating your mind and you're edu- and you're, you know, strengthening your body and and uh, and your soul or your spirit. You know, like I think that just that on a global or even a, a level of a country, you'd have your whole country would be a stronger country. You know. <laughs> One of the things I have to thank you for is recommending uh, the deplorable word to me. Uh, I read that when I was out traveling on tour, and that book was like one of the most intense reading reads that I've had in a while. So yeah, I, dude, I, like, I thank you I, for that. You're welcome. Yeah, I remember, like, I got that. I kind of was like, just sometimes I just scroll through Amazon looking for stuff, and I I stumbled on that one, and it looked kind of interesting from from what I could see on Amazon. So I ordered it because it's really like fifteen dollars or something, twenty dollars something. It's not expensive. And I, I get it, and I pull, I open it. And I'm like, the, there's like an energy, palpable energy coming off of it. Like you, you just looking at all the, the crazy like uh, collages and everything inside of it. You can really believe that that it is, you know, kind of creating some type of energy about it. You know what I mean? One hundred percent, man. Because I I had that book on tour, and like whenever I had the book out, you know, like you know, we were like backstage or whatever in the green room or something and I had it, I was reading it or I would put it down on a table and get like, you know, a bottle of water or something. People would, would react just to the physical presence of that book. 
Yeah, I can believe it. I, yeah, yeah, I can believe it because I felt like a a a very like palpable energy to it, even when I just opened it out of the out of the thing from the Amazon package. You know, (laughs) like I was like, and it just blew me away. I was like, wow, this is so crazy, and it's it's very extreme. Um, but I kind of I kind of like that. I mean, I don't really agree with a lot of what it says, but I just like the uh, the this it has this very extreme like energy to it that I I find like really like inspiring in a way. Also, partly because like I felt like you read that you read the short story at the beginning, which I felt reminded me a lot of Archive eighty one. I don't know if you got that kind of vibe. In general, in general, it ha- I thought it had like a very Thomas Ligotti like sort of vibe to it, and um, definitely yeah. reminded me of Archive Eighty One. Definitely. Yeah, just that short story because she's like painting and she paints like herself into the void, basically. Yeah. You know, like it just reminded me a lot of uh, Archive Eighty One with like the the paint, like uh, well, the like fungi or whatever. And yeah, then uh, the philosophy is definitely very Thomas Ligotti. It felt. Well, like I said before, I had messaged you. I felt like this book would be the actual handbook for some type of weird void worshiping cult in like a Thomas Ligotti book or something, you know. <laughs> and also, you know how like in like a lot of Ligotti short stories, there's always some sort of like like blackness, like palpable, like you know miasma or whatever that like people disappear yeah. into, or like there's like this substance that comes from somewhere. Like that's that element too was, was very much present in the short story, you know, and it's, you know, written in this kind of diary, like journal format, which made it really compelling, you know? Yeah. I thought that short story in of itself was like great. Like, you know, like worth the, worth the price. And between that and the, just the, the paintings in it or the, the collages, I mean, the collages then, then... were like real intense, man. Like I was like, you would like, I mean, this might sound really corny, but this is really how I felt about it. Like, if you if you look at the collages long enough, you can feel like this energy. Like, you can feel your your kind of perspective changing on things. You know. Well, I think that's the point. I mean, it says in the book that they're supposed to be like um, utilize like uh, utilizing these void rituals or whatever. They're like ritual like uh, like sigils, basically. Like they're sigils, like underneath the the collage essentially so the collage is making and then on top of it the collage is supposed to be making some sigils so like when you look at it long if your eye kind of travels along and you start seeing that there's like a kind of shape to it and that goes back to what we were talking about um you know these kind of like uh you know how sigils are sort of baked into our consciousness you know and, and beyond like language really like how there's like a an ancient sort of you know, primordial communication associated with shapes and, and angles and all this sort of stuff. And I think, yeah, like we were talking about right now, like how it connects to that, like these images and these collages, like to conjure up that same, that same energy. Yeah, definitely. And I, I definitely feel like, particularly with, with the, the part, the, the portable word, word is that it's like, um, connecting a lot with the idea of like the, the, wordless aeon which is something that i've read about with um this author michael kelly has talked about it and uh also kenneth grant but michael kelly in particular has like this draconian kind of magical tradition or like kind of idea of uh 
he comes from the Temple of Set, but he's created this kind of draconian perspective on it. And uh, and a lot of that is the void, and the magic is a void, and he talks about this kind of void magic being uh, wordless in a way, you know. And uh, I think that that this horrible word kind of brings that up in a way, too, because it, it is kind of wordless, you know. There's this... I do believe that there is, from my experience, definitely this kind of void or abyss type of force like uh, around kind of ever present you know i think around everything and uh and like inside of us as well you know we're connected to it because i do think that's where we came from is this kind of void or abyss or nothingness you know yeah no absolutely i mean and that's you know even i mean you can ponder this for hours and hours and days and months and years too like if you just think about the pre the state of the universe before something like the big bang or something like that or even like on a a microcosmic level of just life on the planet you know where there was like nothing and then thing miraculously rose from nothing you know and there was like an event that caused reality to happen or something like that you know the things that existed yeah. prior to that you know what what was that you know what kind of environment was that prior to existence you know and that that's well, what this yeah. connects to for me man for sure yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, uh, and it's ever present in in a lot of cultures because you got to think like the the Vikings, you know, like the the Scandinavians had the Ganungagap, which is like the yawning void, like that everything came from, you know, mm-hmm. uh, poised between fire and ice, like it's like the the gap, uh, the void, poised between these two forces of creation, and when the forces of creation mix together in the in the void, then that creates life, you know. And uh, you had in the Egyptian mythology the same thing. Like you had this kind of nothingness, void that was like, which was like the original god, god or whatever. And then he like populated it himself and created created creation, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just every every culture has the same thing. Uh, Sumerians had uh, the watery abyss the Absu and and tiamat you know and uh and this their their union created the gods and then the gods flew them and created like uh the material world from tiamat you know yeah 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 i, I mean this i've 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 been a uh you know fan of sumerian mythology for many years for sure yeah i think it's i think sumerian mythology is pretty interesting it, and uh, I always like uh, one. I always like uh, that, that that Necronomicon, you know, from the '70s was basically just like all Sumerian mythology. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The fake book that was uh, and it, written. <laughs> yeah, and then you get like uh, like uh, all the morbid angel stuff being based around that. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely, man. Like even even though this, some of the symbols from the early morbid angel stuff was taken directly out of the Necronomicon. Yeah, I think they used that. Um, well, they also used that, was that that one sigil of, uh, I think it was uh, part of the sigil of, um, uh, like the Necronomicon star or whatever? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was, that was more, Morbid Angel used that on, you know, some of their early, early records. Yeah. Are you familiar uh, with uh, Constantine Chiragma and er- Erica Frevold's, Fre- Frevold, Frevold's other work? Because, you know, they were, I guess they created the deplorable word, like they were like, you know, 
editors, writers, or they're like at the heart of that book. Are you familiar with their other work? Uh, some of it. So there's, um, you got to remember the names. There's a, uh, let me grab it real quick. So there's a thing called, um, yeah, Chronazon, which is like a kind of magazine type of format, a journal, you know, that they've released. I have three issues of that. Um, I think um, the Constantine guy was the editor for the first two, and then Erica Fravel took over on like the, the third and the fourth. And that that's like a compilation of different writers from across these different kind of like very fringe uh, parts of like uh, modern Satanism and everything. Like it's got it's got a mixture of like short stories and then like occult writings. So he has one in that called Worship the Darkness. Uh, that's one of the other things I've read from his. And then uh, Erica Fravel, has, I, I don't think she really does that much writing, but she, like her art is in, in the other, I think, Chronazon uh, 3. I know that um, they, so they have like a whole, um, a whole like publisher called Martinet Press, but I, they basically self-publish their, through Amazon from what it looks like, but uh, I mean, they do pretty good quality high, overall, and they have a lot of different. They're more like pamphlet-sized books, kind of like the same as like the Portable Word, where they're like smaller. I know they have published like a lot of different people, but I think the only other like book that the Constantine guy has written is one called um, uh, I'm forgetting what the name is. It's like something Gnostica, but it's like a you can find it on Amazon. If you look up the horrible word, Ecclesia Gnostica or something like that. I have it up and right uh, now, actually. Karanzan uh, uh, 1. No, yeah, that's the, yeah. that's the, that's, yeah, those are the, uh, those are the two, like, kind of journals. Yeah. Or three, I think there's four all together. I have one and three, I think. Oh, look at that. He's using the uh, inverted Kali uh, sigil as part of the cover image. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I think, yeah, the the whole thing is very, like, uh, all the friend, all these, like, fringe people, you know, like, uh, you got you got stuff written from, from really fringe stuff, like Temple of Blood, and then you got uh, some Order of Nine Angles type of stuff, and, and then his writings, like, Worship the Darkness, which was pretty intense, like, very similar. You could tell that that kind of what, what they built, um, uh, deplorable word off of. I, I guess supposedly they're they're intending on doing I think three books, along with like the deplorable word is like the beginning of like there's going to be a, another two books, but I'm not sure. Yeah, it's it's interesting stuff, man. It's interesting stuff, and like, at, at, there are moments though when I'm reading this and I'm like, am I like opening up this like pathway into like some portal that I'm going to step through and disappear from this reality? You know what I mean, like. <laughs> Yeah, there are moments when I was reading this. I'm like, is this like the beginning of the end for me? Like getting involved in this kind of <laughs> stuff, you know? <laughs> yeah, it definitely has that sketchy type of vibe. Like, like that's the kind of feeling I got from it. Is like you feel like maybe you're kind of like touching something that's actually like pretty like legit. Like, uh, could be could be unsavory. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, totally. You know, and it's like, you know, because like in my mind, like. You know, I obviously have an active imagination, you know, what I mean? 
<laughs> like, yeah, I'm thinking about like, oh, if I if I continue, I might turn into like a werewolf or something, you know, or I don't know, like, all <laughs> these like primordial, like weird, you know, things like running through my mind when I'm reading this stuff. The one thing that I, that he talks about that I thought was just real crazy is uh, uh, well, okay, so and he's talking about these kind of beings that are just like these abyssal entities that are like ne- very like negative beings that are, you know, their whole goal is basically to destroy humanity, you know, so we can yeah. all be part of it. So, yeah. And uh, I was thinking like, I've like encountered this. I feel like I've encountered these types of entities at some point in my life. And, and I, I, I could feel a feeling from what they're, what they're talking about. And I felt like I've always said that in my mind, like when you watch something like the exorcist that is legitimately like one of these types of abyssal entities like you know destroying you know type uh it, it comes it uses the christianity because that's where these people come from but the reality is that these kind of possessions and things are they're not like demons like they say because like a lot of the demons of christianity they're just old gods yeah. but the actual like demons that are like negative entities that feed off of negative things and possess people are these kind of abyssal entities you know and um and he's talking about in this book like for me i'm like i don't i mean i wouldn't want like to have like be possessed by like one of the types of things i don't know about you but <laughs> absolutely but he's not. like talking about yeah he's talking about like i'm like like asking one to <laughs> you know possess you and like <laughs> There's like debasing yourself for the void and stuff. And I'm just like, this is kind of crazy shit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the point where I was just like, <laughs> yeah, okay, cool. Like, you know, this is definitely, um, you have to have definitely. a certain mindset. You, you have to have gone through there. There's so many things in your life that would have had to happen to you to put you in that place that that's something that you desire. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And then to, to you know it's definitely like a different mindset i do think that like it reminds me a lot also of like um like craft like the band craft yeah okay like because because their their attitude was kind of the same you know it's like like it's kind of it's like this anti-human anti-everything like go back to the void destroy everything like embrace these kind of like (laughs) abyssal like evil entity type of things you know what i mean <laughs> right yeah no I, you know that's an interesting yeah fuck the universe there you go that's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a craft album so yeah yeah so it definitely remind me of that kind of that kind of vibe like uh you know it's like i find it interesting in a way but it would never be something that i ever be like attracted to as an individual because <laughs> it's just not i mean i'm like i don't want that you know like and so I do think it's also a little bit separate from, um, from like the left hand path as I understand, it, which is which is a very different type of thing. But I do find these types of things like that interesting, and I do think that they can be kind of inspiring for like creating art. Oh, you yeah, know, 100%. like if you want to create like some type of like like reading something like the portable word, I think could be very like inspiring for writing like weird fiction story or. Um, or making like a real evil black metal album, you know, if you kind of get in that mindset, at least to record, create like music and you're kind of channeling that energy in a way, but you're not really becoming that energy, you know, like, 
Are, are you familiar one. with uh, the filmmaker Lucifer Valentine? I'm not. I think I remember you talking about one one of his things at one point, but yeah, is he is he the like the one that wasn't like a real crazy like black metal like? Well, there's a couple of different things that he's made, and a lot of it, it's all, most of it's uh, pornographic. Like, he's into this weird, like, vomit porn stuff. And I haven't seen any of those films because uh, (laughs) I'm not interested in that kind of stuff. (laughs) Yeah. But the, um, I did, my my drummer found this on somewhere out there online, and we have, like, an MP4 of this movie. (laughs) So. It's called Black Metal Veins, and it's a, a documentary about um, these people that live in some some small town, like in the Midwest somewhere, or the south southeast, or some some like borderline rural town. And they're you know, like a West Virginia town or something. Yeah, like West <laughs> Virginia or something like that, where it's like this. The, I feel, when I read the the deplorable word and started reading about like these anti life kind of you know, and these people that are worshiping that it made me think of the people that were in this documentary because, you know, they were like into like black metal and, you know, were extreme drug users and had this anti-life, you know, sort of, uh, philosophy. And, uh, you know, there's like that fringe world on the outskirts of society where these people like they populate that area, you know, and I, I was, this guy was showing the, the, abscesses and physical damage from extreme drug use and you know and he's like basically turning into this fucking monster really in front of your (laughs) eyes and yeah when i these two things together in my mind was like that's kind of the people that i feel would 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 be attracted to the extreme fringes of like abyssal sort of uh you know philosophies and would embrace like being possessed by some anti-life like entity you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like I think too because if you get in that kind of abyssal anti-life type of energy, I mean it's really for people who don't have anything left to lose in a way. You know, like you're just kind of like like you know it's like the other like embrace of this like anti everything type of type of vibe, and um, it really is like. At that point, you are entering in that kind of Thomas Ligotti type of plane of of where these people maybe could like be like swallowed into some other dimension or something, or become monsters. You know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I felt like that. literal. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and even in my travels, like not not so much in the recent years, but even like being on the road a lot, like I've I've seen you know, people like that have like come into the periphery of of my life. You know, like through travel. Not, I don't seek these people out, but. You find yourself in in proximity to these types of people if, if you're doing you know like extreme music and you're touring and there's always the guy that offers you just you know yeah you guys can crash at my house you know whatever and it's like back when we used to you know do that you know, stay with people and things like that it was like <laughs> you know it's like you would see these people and you go to their house and you're like I, I think I'm gonna sleep in the van tonight man there's like some dark darkness inside this place that i don't really want to be near you know just yeah <laughs> you know what i'm trying to say yeah i know exactly what you're saying yeah so interesting like, um, the whole that like I, I that's a lot of the, the things i was thinking about when i read this book for sure yeah i definitely 
definitely is like that. I had an experience like that one time where we had this um of my uh, my band uh Silver Chord, which is like uh more like dark wave. Yeah. We some elements of black metal and stuff. Like uh we were trying to find a bass player and this guy had come up to us at one of our shows and was like, you know, Oh yeah, I'll play bass stuff. We tried him out. Well, it's kinda of, there's kind of a weird vibe about him, you know? And he kinda of looked like the guy from Silence of the Lambs a little bit, like Jamie uh Jamie Gummer, whatever his name is. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that's literally what he looked like. And uh and me and uh, Ken and I like drove him down drove him home and he like he like, invited us in for a second. We went in He's like, oh, I got this like basement where you can like we could rehearse maybe. And we will go down. And he's got like a cage in the basement oh. and stuff. And it's just sort of like, and then we come up and it's like he's like has like wigs and stuff up there. Like, but he's like trying to hide it. Wow. And we're just kind of like, this is kind of weird. And we like we should probably get out of here. Like, he just had that that bad feeling. He just had that bad feeling. Like, there's something dark going. There's something not right going on here. Yeah. <laughs> we probably, yeah, totally. probably when somebody's got like a weird cage in their basement here. <laughs> That's definitely a trigger to leave, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, there's, like, people like that out there in the world where you just encounter them, and it's like, okay. Uh, I, I'm sure, like, when the more you're out, the more I know, like, you're touring around, like, for, like, extreme metal or something, you're going to encounter those kind of people because they, they're there, you know? Yeah, and there's that... that that level sometimes when you're not quite making enough money to like get places to stay that are clean and you have to rely on the goodwill of people. Um, sometimes you find yourself in situations where I feel like that I have been close to that energy, you know, people like that. And, uh, that's what reading this book, seeing that Lucifer Valentine documentary, like I was like, wow, man, I, I, you know, I, I definitely have been in situations where people like that have been in the periphery for sure, you know. Yeah, well, I think, I think the thing that's funny about all that stuff though is like I remember reading, um, uh, or interview with Tom Warrior, where he is talking about that he likes like, extreme people, like he likes extreme stuff, like even if he does, even if he strongly disagrees with certain with somebody's viewpoints or something, he kind of likes when people are very like this kind of extremity, you know, this really like ultra fringe type of type of stuff. And I, I kind of get what he's get that idea because you are reading something like the portable word and it's like very fringe and it's very extreme. And definitely, you know, there's certain things that, that I could agree with or whatever, but just take the, the vibe of it, even, even though it's not really what I agree with is like, uh, still like I appreciate this extremity and this energy because there's an intensity of energy. Like when you read it or you look at those, those collages and everything, like it's because there's somebody creating something with absolute a hundred percent, like passion and intensity, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's how I feel about it too, for sure. You know, but I, uh, I definitely would not want to be sucked into that world by any means, you know? No. Yeah. And then, like, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, like, I'm reading, like, the apocalyptic, um, culture, apocalypse culture. Oh, yeah, yeah. I have, yeah, there's two vo- two volumes of that. I, I have I have those, yeah. Yeah, I, I have those two. It's kind of like the same, like, when you read that and you're reading through all this, like, extreme, like, crazy stuff, like, that they write about that, that in there. And he's presenting, like, the actual writing, sometimes the actual writings of these, like, very extreme people. 
and there's something about that that I just I think is interesting. I think there's something kind of inspiring about that in a way, you know. That that's the uh, the Feral House thing, right? The Adam Parfrey uh, was the editor yeah. on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I there's I think there's one and two, right? Yeah, there's one and two. I'm looking at right now. It's Apocalypse Culture one and two. I think uh, one came out in the '90s and two came out in the 2000s. I think. I, I think don't they have like uh, Bobby Boussoulet's like his interviews with him and and all sorts of stuff like that like the Jill Coleman, yeah. Jill Coleman uh, artwork and stuff like that. Yeah, they have that stuff, and they have like uh, articles about like the Process Church yeah, and like yep. the Son of Sam murders and right. Very yeah, 90, very nineties. That's very nineties that stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's very nineties. I kind of I, I dig it though. I like the uh, just like the you're going through it this range of extreme like kind of crazy stuff the funny part was when i first read them i can't remember if it was in one or two they were showing there's like this writing about these people who like fetishize like mass shootings yes yep. and they write these stuff about like they're like writing like these like fanzines basically about mass shootings about how to kill more people and the funny part is when i read that right after that uh, that the, the shooting happened here in Colorado from that Batman, the uh, Dark Knight yeah. uh, Rises movie mm-hmm. yeah. that happened here. Yeah, and so I was, and that happened like the literally like a day after I read that thing in Apocalypse Culture. <laughs> well, that that's interesting like, because that whole uh, you know Fortran, uh, you know, all those people that worship these dudes, these mass shooters. That that's kind of their their thing. Like they have, like they, they, you know, give up. They rank these guys based on body count and that kind of stuff. So it is a reflection of what was written in Apocalypse Culture, like twenty years ago, for sure. Yeah, it's just it's crazy that it that how it's developed, and I mean, I think I mean I I I don't understand that that kind of stuff. Like the the kind of like depths of like internet culture is like real beyond me i don't i'm not a, i'm not really i don't really i know i'm like very like, primitive <laughs> so i know there's all this like i'm sure if you get really get into like the internet culture it's like a whole nother like just like swamp land of of this like but um but i mean it was already happening already like in the 90s you know yeah and, yeah definitely uh, for sure. It was just different, just different format. It was like guys like going out and photographing like zines and mailing lists and stuff, you know. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk real quick about the, uh, the the Conan Robert E. Howard podcast again. So, just to be uh, clear, are you going to do all of his fiction or just the Conan stories? Well, I figure we'll start with Conan. I mean, I. Uh, that's the kind of thing I've been thinking about because I do want to cover other ones as well. Uh, you know, I'm thinking like originally I was thinking of just doing Conan and dedicating all to Conan, but I think it'd be better to do Howard as a, as a whole because yeah. I would like to cover because eventually you're going to run out of Conan stories. There's exactly. only the three volumes, and uh, yeah, so you know, yeah, I definitely want to cover all Howard because I'd like to cover the Call stories and Solomon Kane and. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the brand Mac Morn and, and all that stuff. And I mean, I, I guess at a certain point, if it's still, if you're still going, you got all the main ones down, you can start digging into like all of his like historical adventures and stuff, you know? <laughs> oh, there's so but, much, man. 
you know yeah it's like i mean there yeah the historical fiction he's done he's got stories what's his name uh uh sailor cost the the boxer guy that he is a boxer character like yeah he's a boxer character yeah he started writing like westerns as well didn't he he did he did yeah One, one interesting thing is um the Del Rey editions that you and I have been like collecting, um, I just found out apparently all of that is the actual versions that Howard published, like back in like Weird Tales. And yeah, the ones that I read as a kid in the in the eighties are were severely edited by El Sprague de Camp apparently. Yeah, the ones in the the paperback, the old like Ace paperbacks, like you know, which I think I think we both have like a complete collection of those. I'm sure. Yeah, I, those, I, I those don't have are, a complete collection. But I have most of those. Yeah, I have I have all of the main ones. I don't have the ones where Howard, like once Howard. I I mean I have them. I just don't know where they are. I can't find them. I'm missing like the last like couple of them. But I have all the Howard ones. But yeah, like yeah. when you read those Ace paperback ones they were like written like they had done like an order like howard had kind of like done like a basic outline of conan's life in a letter <clears throat> they'd written this to like uh some fans or something and so basically sprague de camp and lynn carter um they like wrote they basically like organized the stories in terms of like this like outline of conan's life and they yeah, they wrote their own stories, and sometimes, or like their own stories from like fragments of like of because he had a lot of fragments, which yeah. I think are in the Delray editions, where it's like a page or two. Like I think the hat, there's one that's like uh, the hand of Nerval or something, right? Which which uh, has been completed in like a few different ways because it was just like the the setup where where he's on the battlefield or whatever, and you know now at this point you have like a dark horse hand of Nerval, you have the um the old marble version you have like the version that lynn carter and elfrog de camp wrote you know and yeah and then they also edited the uh the original stories and i'm not sure like how severely his originals were edited by them uh I haven't done like a side by side comparison yet where I read like, you know, Elf Tower Elephant and read the one in the the, the paperback yet, but Yeah, cuz those yeah. the uh, the ones with the Frazetta covers, which I think are uh I forgot who the pub- Lancer maybe might have published those. I think it's yeah, it's, well, I think it was Ace and Lancer. Okay. The one yeah. those are the ones that I had. Like I bought those when I was a kid and I was or, Yeah, me or too. I you know, my parents bought them for me really and it's like <laughs> And uh, they have like the beautiful Frank Frazetta artwork, and that's that's to me that was the ones I read. And then, yeah, I think it was Michael Vaughn, like the the uh, booktuber, who covers a lot of Conan stuff. He mentioned that the Del Rey versions were the ones that were, you know, they're the, the basically the the definitive versions of those stories. So that motivated me to collect all of them and you know reread all the stuff, you know. And I but I haven't done a um, you know side by side comparison either. Yeah, I've been on the side by side. Yeah, that's how I started reading Conan as well. I mean, uh, I think I originally, like, introduced to Conan. I was probably even before I could read. I was like uh, a little kid. I had the comic books, the like, yeah. Marvel comics, 
and I would just look at the pictures. I didn't even know what they, you know, later on, once I, I, I kind of like started, you know, once I started learning to read, I started reading them, but I had them even before that because I liked the, the, the artwork. And so, you know, I knew who Conan was, and eventually my dad got me the, um, the, the paperbacks, and so I started working my way through all the, all the paperbacks, you know, getting them at like used bookstores. Oh yeah, man. I, I mean, the artwork and that, I mean the especially those the first uh, several issues of the color Conan the Barbarian with Barry Windsor Smith's artwork. It's amazing. Yeah, I mean there were I think uh I also really like the um what's his name? John um John Basima. John Bas- yeah, John Basema about Basima, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love his art for it too and uh even like the later ones, I mean I have eighties um uh, I did like um, 80s issues, like issues from the 80s, you know, like the, the 200s or whatever. Right? Yeah. Uh, that and those are some of the ones that I had read when I was a kid. But and even those, like the art was still pretty, pretty good. Maybe not as high quality as Barry Windsor Smith because his is like like extra high quality. But yeah, the, um, yeah, like so. This is the comic books, and then I got the the uh, his. Um, I started reading the books. I mean, I've been, I've been reading Conan uh, as long, basically as long as I can remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, me too, like, And uh, And I, I do think I found, I don't remember exactly how I found out about Lovecraft, but um, it, it probably was my dad, like, always, like, uh, thought for me because he knew I liked Howard and he knew the connection between them and everything, you know? Well, and, I, uh, for me, it was almost at the same time because I, I, um, there was like this one bookstore in my hometown that had records and books there. And they had like this awesome fantasy and science fiction section. And, you know, through reading Conan, the comic books, like if I, I was like a big Savage Sword fan and they always had like the articles in there. And that's yeah. where, the, you know, they mentioned H.P. Lovecraft. And I was like, oh, I got to keep my eye out for this. And then sure enough, they had the paperback uh versions that had that I, I forgot the artist's name but he did that obituary uh rec- they used one of his pieces for an obituary album yeah the the blood curling <laughs> tales that yeah that's yeah. the first lovecraft edition i got to the delray one and it was definitely like difficult to read at a young age but i kind of like try to like force myself through it and as a result has i've reread all those stories many times over the course of my life just because my skill as a reader improved as i got older you know? Yeah, I mean, too. I remember trying to read Lovecraft as a kid, and like, um, you know, Howard was pretty easy to read. You yeah. know, like, and um, that you could understand. Uh, Lovecraft was a little bit more, <laughs> a little bit more difficult sometimes. I, but the thing was, there was something about it that just attracted me, though. Like, where I really liked, liked his writing, even though it was a little bit difficult for me. You know. Like there's just something about Lovecraft's writing that really, that really spoke to me, you know. And and I, I don't think I really fully grasped Lovecraft till maybe like teen, I was a teenager. Yeah, for you me know, too, because like there was like really heavy concepts in there that were beyond my uh, aptitude at the time. Yeah, and I, I mean, I would even say that when I when I finally really felt like I could really understand fully everything like in his work more or less was like a little bit older even i mean I, i've reread all of lovecraft stuff and howard like i mean i've read like all of their stuff like multiple times in my life you know and uh and each time i reread 
particularly like Lovecraft, but Howard as well, you kind of you kind of get new 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 like insights into it, you know. And, yeah, uh, definitely, man. I mean, that's especially Lovecraft because there seems to be a lot a lot of stuff like hidden in there that you have to you know piece together over different rereadings. And the same thing with Howard, even though his writing is a little bit more simple. I just feel like if you read at different points of your life, you have different perspectives on the stories too. Yeah, you have different perspectives, different different way of reacting to it. I think that my favorite thing about Howard, I, I remember because I, I read really read all the Conan stories. Too much ago, I remember telling you like I love the there's so much fire and energy coming off of his right his word you know his words like you like I I read through his books through the Conan stories like so fast because. You just you just feel like this energy. You get excited when you read Conan, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, and like Cull on the other side is like more of like um this kind of sullen, like somber, brooding character, you know. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, Cull is Lovecraft's favorite. <laughs> yeah, I can and see that because the stories yeah. are more they're more ephemeral in a lot of ways, you know. Yeah, the the Cull ones are are definitely like a little bit more moody. And uh, the Cole, I've actually, I still, I need to order the, the Delray for Cole. That's on my list because I have the original paperback. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I and have a and of, of course that's, yeah, and of course that's, you know, the edited version or whatever, and has like some Lynn Carter stories. So I need to get. I'm planning on the Delray one and, and really reading through all the, the original like, Cole stories as as Howard wrote them. You know. But I think Cole's like very moody. He's like, like Conan, like always has, usually ends up with some type of woman, you know, like yeah. <laughs> in the stories where Cole is not really all that interested. He's like almost asexual in a way, you know? Yeah, there's no women. There's no queen. There's no even like, you know, he doesn't have any need for women at all in his stories. You know, and Conan's this kind of lusty, you know, swashbuckling guy, like, you know. Yeah, just, just like raging through the world, you know. And Cole is just <laughs> kind of in the shadows in his kingdom, you know, like sort of um, paranoid about you know lizard people trying to take take his kingdom away from him and things like that, you know. Yeah, when I, another mo real moody character is Solomon Kane. Oh yeah, totally. Uh, like I read, I, I read the Solomon all the Solomon Kane stories last year. Uh, and I was just like, I had read some of them, but, but after the first year, I read like all of them straight through from beginning to end, you know? And I was like, Solomon Kane is badass. Again, you have this fire and fiery energy where you just read straight through it. But it's just like, uh, he's such a weird character because he's this Puritan, you know? And he's almost like, he's almost lying. He's like a hypocrite in a way. Yeah. Because he like loves adventure and, and, and like, you know, killing people and stuff but he like kind of <laughs> he kind of puts it in a perspective of like oh i'm doing good you know yeah he like, justifies he, his actions you know for sure yeah but but reality is that it's coming from just a need for adventure i mean that's what howard even says like in the stories like that's that's so i think that's interesting he's like very tall and like kind of kind of like uh hook nose and lanky and you know like <laughs> Very a little bit like Conan, but not not quite as yeah. He's a little more more thin, you know, skinny than sort Conan, of gaunt, I guess. In the, gaunt, yeah. you know, character sort of, you know. 
yeah, gone but strong. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, I think it's interesting because people will try to say that all the characters are like the same, but they're really not. They're very different. Yeah, people generalize too much, you know, and it's like when I whenever I hear that, I'm just like, man, you really never spent any time with any of this stuff. You just basically probably looked at some artwork or read. I mean, even if you read a couple of paragraphs, you realize that they are very different. Yeah, I think. Well, I feel like a lot of a lot of times what I see, and this part of it's not really want to do this this the the podcast about uh, Howard is that I feel like there's a lot of misinformation, kind of misunderstanding of his work. And I feel like a lot of people have like, kind of like ideas, you know, like of what it is, but maybe it's not actually what his work is, you know? And, uh, I feel like it's part of the things that I want, I think it'd be good to talk about is, is digging into his work and presenting it as it is, you know, not really like trying not, and showing that, that those facts are like, yeah, these characters are different. You know, these stories, they're not all the same or some, you know, like some people try to say. And uh, I think that, I think that it would be a good service. And I also just think it would be a lot of fun to like go through each story and uh, give it like the deep dive in the way that, that some, you know, some of these literary podcasts, like, like they chose up after one did or, Elder Sign does, or something like that. Maybe not as not as like college collegiate, you know, like like the Elder Sign is, where yeah. they're like really like almost too in depth. But you know, and again, like that one. I think part of the reason that uh, Fuel Needle One or like do this was listening to them cover Conan uh, Conan stories because I just felt like they really were not understanding it at all. You know, <laughs> so I was just like, okay, I have to like like there's a place for a, a Howard podcast and I'm really surprised that there's not one yet, you know? So as far as these two podcasts are going, what, what's going to be up first and what, what's the time frame we're looking at? So, yeah, I'm, I'm planning on having the Soul Knox one up probably the week that uh, this podcast will be going up. So it should be up now that you're listening to it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird when you're talking like, in the future, ten, uh, future present tense. <laughs> you know, some people yeah, say so that time is a flat circle. So <laughs> that's true. It's all happening all at once. Like we're already in that that week. Yeah. So it'll be <laughs> up. <laughs> it should be up now. Um, as you're listening to this podcast, uh, I'm planning. You know, it should be up on everything. And uh, then the Conan one, I'm, I'm launch here soon, shortly after. Um, I have been quite. Uh, I need to like iron that out and get all the get like the first episode recorded and I need to try to figure out like a logo for it and stuff like that so um, yeah it's a, it's a it's like one of those things where I was like I'll figure out I'll do this other one and get a launch and probably within a month should it start launch the Conan one next as well because I'm pretty I'm pretty into the idea of covering covering the Conan stories and the Howard stories and I know that you said that you would want to 100% jump man. on sometimes yep yeah, I I will do so. as much or as little as you want on that podcast because I love Conan, I love Robert E. Howard, and uh, we could talk once. Let's wrap this up, and we we'll talk about that a little bit before we sign off for the night. Cool. Yeah. The yeah that will be that will be cool. I think it's going to be a good one, and and I'm all you know the way I think about stuff too is like I'm not really a type of person that likes to to doing the same things as everyone else. You know, like. 
uh, I feel like a lot of people will kind of keep doing like the same stuff and you'll end up with like 10 podcasts all doing the same things or something. Yeah. Whereas like, I see like a, a hole and that, that is not going to, that's not being filled and figure to fill it. And, and even with Soul Knox, uh, one thing I didn't really get to is I do want to cover like weird fiction on, on Soul Knox as well. And we'll be covering like writers or topics within weird fiction, uh, stories even, you know, that's definitely going to be a part. Because so I'm planning on having each, you know, each episode will have like kind of a different, kind of like how you have with, you have like the Unholy Passion ones or yeah. in the past you'd have like this kind of like ongoing series within the, uh, so I'm planning on doing that and we'll have like the Eldritch Tales, which would be like the, the seer ongoing series of like weird fiction subjects and stories and stuff. And That's killer. And have some, yeah. So that's going to be probably, probably, you know, because every week, so I, I figure at least once or twice a month there's going to be a weird fiction podcast, and then the other ones will be dedicated to stuff like art or the occult and whatever, you know. That's great, man. So. Looking forward to it. All right, Carl. Well, thanks a lot, man. This is great, and um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to launching these, these getting these shows up there so I can check them out, and um, I appreciate you yeah, taking think, time out of your day to talk to me. Well, I appreciate you having me on it. Really, I uh, it's like uh, definitely an honor because I, I, I think like between you and Jackie, you're really like the things that got me into podcasts was like listening to into Necrosphere and uh, Necromaniacs. So <laughs> right got me into getting in the podcast and and uh, and going from there. So yeah, it's a real honor to be on here. So thank you. Hell yeah, man! Thanks for listening, guys, and we'll uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.
Oh, 